welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Sound checks. Sound checks that happen oh, in this new 10 box. seconds. Pod track. Welcome, P4. Welcome to the podcast, uh, Father John. And, Father, and this is Father Mike. And Father Mike, just rejoicing in this tiny little piece of machinery that records podcast after so many years of these complex boards and uh so starting off on a note of gratitude so of all things like it's springtime we just had ordinations for newly ordained guys we're celebrating anniversaries and i'm excited about a stupid little sound box we uh we yeah we'll we'll start with that happy anniversary yesterday hey thanks man yeah it was great uh 13 years 13 years and uh setting up for this thing or i don't know grabbing this stuff i realized i've been doing this well the podcast has been happening the whole time yeah and uh and that's one of the joys yeah of the priestly life i mean it feels like it feels like a long time i know people go oh doesn't time go by so fast <laughs> kind of and i realized eh, i don't know um uh, i've been i think kind of all over the world and having so many different experiences. So I don't know if it's kind of like looking back, there's so much um, that I, it's, it seems like a long time and there's a lot to kind of process. So I do um, had dinner with my dad last night. That was cool. We went to red Robin. Oh yeah. You know, red Rob is that a Colorado bottomless thing? Fi- uh, fries? Is that yeah, the, bottomless steak fries. My brother used to work at red Robin and he, oh, really? he, it was right by the AMC 24. Uh-huh. That's where we went. And so this is the huge movie theater. And he said like packs of like 35 middle schoolers would get dropped off by their parents and yeah. they would order like bottomless fries and waters and just take it. Oh yeah. You'd drive them. They tip him like 50 cents. And he was like, <laughs> I freaking hate my job. They so, got the order tip, tip well at red Robin. Oh, poor kids. Yeah, thank you, Ella. Shout out. I'm sure you're listening to this show. Yeah. Our waitress. Um, they also have a great strawberry lemonade yeah. with strawberries in it, you know? There you go. And I don't know. I like strawberry lemonade. It's a treat because it just, it's like pure sugar. And I'm not like really a sweets guy. But um, anyway, I did that. And then I, I, I had a nice mass. Um, I was just on my own yesterday. And then um, went for my annual tradition, I don't know if you know this, I go up to the Cabrini Shrine. Oh, nice. And spend some time up there. That's great. I spent a couple hours up there. and I did this thing where, well, maybe I'll save this for a podcast. Well, anyway, pray over a memory and with each step. And also there's like a lot of penance to it. I don't know. I feel like I'm trying to be penitent, but I don't want to be too negative. But anyway, I go up each step. I say Hail Mary, and it's either four people that I've sinned against or hurt or stupid things that I've done. or And then at, at a certain point, it kind of turns. There's like 300 steps over there to the top yeah, of a hill yeah. with a statue of Jesus. And then it kind of turns to, okay, that's enough. Enough of that. And then it's like with each Hail Mary, there's like a, a memory of gratitude. You say a Hail Mary for each step? Yeah, 300. Whoa. I think there's 300. If that's that a, yeah, that's a, okay. It's slow, dude. Yeah. It takes two hours to get up. That's really, that's impressive. So it's, but it's beautiful. It's a nice way to reflect and I love that place and it's 
got a great vibe. Great vibes coming out of such a funny phrase that everybody uses now. Yeah, vibes, good vibes, man. <laughs> yeah. Is that like a? Um, maybe they don't use it. You remember? Maybe, maybe we're so far behind. I think it's true. That it's already. I'm gone. not sure we people yeah. use vibes. Yeah. I think it's a Beach Boys thing or like yeah. a California thing. Okay. Good vibrations. Good vibrations. There vibes. Anyway, that was. Uh, it was a nice day, and I am grateful for last year's of priesthood. It's good. It's not easy. I think that's been. I'm so naive that whenever I run into some kind of difficulty, I'm like, "What? Mm-hmm. This is. Yeah. I never expected this." Yeah. And it's just kind of life's regular. And but lots of blessings. It's a privilege to be able to help people and glorify God. And that's kind of what I've wanted to do. And the, I mean, I'm not very good at it. Well, I wonder about that. I realize I I'm know. not very good at this. I don't but, know if that's the point of it. Though. Yeah, exactly. You also have um, celebrated several of your siblings' uh, weddings, right? Uh, and oh, yeah. I don't know if you talked about the most recent one. Sorry, I'm just looking at this. Yeah, Jacob level. and I talked a little bit about okay, weddings. Okay, you covered the Marsha. I think we even had an episode on weddings. Okay. Um, yeah. But anyway, that was uh, it was beautiful. I always love hanging out with my family, my extended family. Uh, my sister Hannah gave a great maid of honor speech. Um, she's so sweet. And shout out Hannah. I think she's sibling of the year. Sibling of the year award goes to Hannah. I got six siblings, and I yep. think Hannah's sibling of the year. She made me the scrapbook for my 40th. She had a, a baby, and she's, so she's juggling two kids, one in each arm. And then she does this maid of honor stuff and does a lot of organizing. I think they do a lot of organizing, right? And then gave this great speech. My dad gave a real touching one. I'm my sure. mom at the rehearsal dinner. Nice. They, she married into a great family. Uh, there were dance-offs. And it was cool. Yeah. Some Good. of the priests came. You were out of town, so yep. you couldn't come. But uh, there was a bunch of companions. Yeah. I mean, uh, a whole handful. And um, it was a delight. Yeah. That's the last. No, no, no. I got Johnny's to go johnny's to go although i want johnny to go into the seminary oh really so i don't know how to sell that but yeah i don't think it's gonna happen i don't know i don't know he's a pretty religious guy you never know we went to seminary so <laughs> yeah, exactly know. yeah he's got religious tattoos know. and yeah he's a prayerful prayerful guy who knows nice you're trying to set up that uh jackson and his brothers for uh, some for seminary and then uh, I want religious life. I also want some arranged marriages with the Bartline girls. So that's another, oh, right, another topic. Of course. But, yeah. Are, are those for alliances for like financial reasons? I'm sh- for yeah. Power for everything. It's connections yeah, or Medici just, and uh, they're sweet yeah. kids. They're just great kids. Yeah. First so, communion. Yep. Jackson, uh, my oldest nephew confirmed him and gave him first communion, but the first communion was kind of wild. Cause when you watch the video, you realize that, Father Brian Larkin is just in the zone. He's just like doing his melancholic thing. <laughs> the just, robot is like the body Christ, <laughs> and all these little first communions is super cute. Everybody's crying, of course, because it's the Lord's. And um, you're talking about the parents, not the kids. Uh, parents and Larkin, and then I look over, and he's about to give communion to Jackson, and I <laughs> so I run you? over there. I was setting my dad up with the chalice, and I run over. And I literally grab his arm and like pull it back as it's going. Oh, no, Jack- you don't. And Jackson's looking like, what? And I was like, oh, sorry about that. So, and he was like, oh, I'm sorry. But Larkin he was, knew he wasn't supposed to give him communion. No, he was just in the zone. Yeah. He was just in the Larkin zone. Oh, and, yeah. uh Cloud and nine. Cloud nine. <laughs> he was in the Larkin lounge, as we used to call it. 
which is a melancholic place of great mystery. Um, and then, yeah, so I stopped him and was able. But I've given him all of his sacraments, which is amazing. Yeah. So I told him, um, you need to, I need to either do your wedding or become a bishop so I can do your ordination. And then we've done all of, all, basically all of the ones you'll get. So I said, so you better get married because that's the only way it's going to happen. So No, you could do it. Auxiliary Bishop of Colorado Springs. There you go. Get him down there and uh, cool. Is yeah. there is there an induction for a religious life? What if you don't become a priest like St. Saint, uh, Francis of Assisi? Oh, well, yeah, he was a deacon. Yeah. Okay. So there's the ordination, holy orders. Yeah. So, yeah, so that was while I was in D.C. and uh, at the John Paul II Institute where um, I just met... Um, I just always meet amazing people there. That is, that's a real place. I feel like it's kind of the Comunio school. It's it's a intellectual homeland. It feels familial. The, there's just a, a lot of graciousness of these amazing theologians that like talk to me. They and said they welcome you and everything. I feel uh, just it's just a great experience. And then uh, my friend Andrea is just absolutely crushing it uh, over there. So that was good. Uh, but, a girl. But yesterday... Um, who, is, were, who who is the is the president, those Granados brothers? They seem no, to be the president of all these They're presidents things. of everything, yeah. No, Jose Granados is now the head of the disciples and Luis is somewhere else. So um, he writes in Comunio, but um, okay. the provost is a guy uh, named... Uh, who's the provost? Oh, it's uh, Father Antonio Lopez, okay. who's the head of the... I feel like I've heard San that San Carlo, the CL priest. Oh right! Um, okay. In in the United States, and he's he's amazing. He's yeah. a great great uh, theologian as well. So yeah, I uh, so I got to see them, and then we're we're done. We wrapped up the year. We had ordinations, and uh, we are uh, so kind of stepping into summer. We have some exciting uh, plans, and but we're trying to get ahead of the podcast. So it's a tradition. The last three years that I run off with Sean Conroy on the Monday after. Ordinations to do some uh, early season mountaineering. Okay, and it's kind of the end of the year, the first kind of jaunt into summer. But this the is the third. Which ones did you do? We did um, two cooler climbs the last two years. One up Grays, which is called the Dead Rat, Lost Rat Cooler, and then the next year the Dead Dog Cooler. Who named these? I don't know. The first descent, maybe, but they're particular routes up. And then this one is Little Bear Peak, which is uh, one of the most difficult. 14ers in the state. Sean, Father Sean is finishing the 14ers. Our friend Casey Van Pelt is finishing the 14ers. We picked up two other guys who are finishing. So they're all in the 40s. There's 54 14ers. Um, all these guys are right in the last few. Little Bear is this monster that nobody wants to take on. 10 years ago, I did it as a snow climb with Mike Zizda. Um, and a very famous story happened that you've, uh, well, famous for me, not for anybody else, but uh, that I'll, I'll tell today um, that kind of brought this thing full circle 10 years later. Um, and because I'm trying to say mass on all the 14ers. You had, to, I, I presume there was snow this time too. Yeah. And well, the, I, tell lots of snow, lots of snow. So camping in snow. And then yesterday we started out, we were up at 2, 2.15 and then hiking at three and it was crampons and ice axe all the way. What was uh, the name of this this one? Limpfish. Limpfish. Do they have the hourglass? Oh, the hourglass. That's kind of more. Yeah, you know, the hourglass was the, is the famous, and the hourglass, which is also affectionately known as the bowling alley, because the rock fall is so bad that everything oh, channel, yeah. everything funnels down, and it's so steep. So that's why you do it as a snow climb because it mitigates the rock. Yeah, uh, right. 
um, but it's really dangerous because you're on snow, and if the conditions yeah, aren't right, it's steep. if it's icy, and then you got to do some mixed rock ice stuff, it's very steep. The last uh, thousand feet, when you get into the hourglass, um, it, it's a uh, it, it it was a serious adventure. That scares me, man. I can't do that. Yeah. What about was, uh, ropes? I had a rope, and we all had harnesses and belay devices and everything just in case we needed to kind of come. Because the descent is actually more difficult. Yeah. Uh, we did not end up using them. Um, but the conditions were really good. The snow, you're looking for a snow that's like firm enough to kind of get kick steps and get a good uh-huh. good hold but not soft enough to where it just kind of flows out because then you can't get a hold on the, uh, as you're yeah. kind of descending. And not so not so uh, hard that you can't punch through the exactly. top crest and actually exactly. dig in your crampa. Yeah, so it was, uh, it was cloudy um, and cold, and it had snowed the week before because we've had a really crazy week of weather here in Colorado. Mm. It's been pouring rain. Oh, and yeah, This dude. mountains are getting hammered with snow. And uh, Here's, I, yeah. I don't hate to interrupt. No, go, go for it. <laughs> The I left my window open a crack, uh, and now there's so much water in my car. Oh, oh, in your car? Oh, oh. It sucks. And I don't know if I'm supposed to say that. Uh, <laughs> apologies, but it's uh, okay. Worse has been said. Worse has been said. Exactly. So I'm, uh, it, but there's a catch twenty two. I need to leave the windows open now yeah. in order to air it out. But I live downtown, where if you leave it open, people will go in your car. Yeah. No matter if it's very locked. Yeah. So I don't really know what to do. I need to, I drove to the shrine and opened up, but I just say it was wet, man. Yeah. We had a drip in the roof here because it just kept raining and raining and raining. So you got snow down there. Sorry. Yeah, we got snow and I'm sorry to hear about your car. Yeah. That is, a, that is a tricky, still working on it. That's a tricky predicament it being in Capitol Hill. Um, so the climb was a great success. We finished, uh, and we're in Fort Garland, this tiny little town, and we're just looking for cheeseburgers. That's all we wanted. Yeah, so they bring right. out cheeseburgers Red and cinnamon Robin. rolls, and they have no beer. So I'm like, can can we go and just buy beer? And they were like, sure. I was like, oh, small town America. Still still living it. Like, just letting us drink Coors, you know. Uh, With and, cinnamon rolls. That was not I good. I guess. That was not a good idea. Any, any hungry. But we were just so good famished, um, and it, just, it was a lot of hours on uh on snow and the guys did um amazing and and so anyways the story goes and this is how i'll kind of lead into the topic today which is going to be very kind of uh it's kind of more like story time today this yeah, is this is deep, great deep I like theology that. i, I want to introduce we just finished the school year that's enough yeah for yeah deep theology for yeah a minute. it'll be story time and then i i want to introduce the book project that i'm working on and then get your advice on how to become a better writer hey, um, cool. because you have some so you've done a lot of work in this and, and developed some skills. So, so anyways, to the story, why little bear matters, um, is because 10 years ago, um, in May, I was with, again, this guy, Mike Zizda, who helped me finish the 14ers. I was 29. All right. So, uh, newly ordained finishing the 14ers. I was, um, trying to climb all these peaks by the time I was 30. So mm-hmm. this is like, the last, it's like four months to go. If you're going to finish it before 40 and you want to do it as a snow climb, it's like, you got to do it. So Father John is doing um, a second round. Yeah, now He had done a, one just climbing, and right. now he's doing mass on every mass top. Mass on top, yeah. But even then, I was like, oh, I'll do mass on top. Right? Yeah. And I was starting to kind of think that'd be fun to do mass. So even as I was finishing them, um, and uh, so we, the, the 
the way you get up to um, Little Bear Peak is you have to um, go on Lake Como Road, which is this very gnarly four-wheel drive trail that very, very few people can do. And actually, some people have died doing. There's a plaque on this thing called Jaws. Uh, there's Jaws 1, Jaws 2, Jaws 3. And the fact that any vehicle can get over this thing is unbelievable. And you're getting up there in the snow? Uh, no snow at this point. There's not snow okay. until you hit about maybe 10,500 feet where Lake Como is. And Lake Como is this tiny little lake, and it sits at the bottom of Ellingwood Peak, Blanca Peak, and Little Bear Peak. Isn't that in Italy, too? Yes. Famously? Yes, and we're going to circle back to that in a okay. second. Yeah. How these you things know got their I names is always interesting, yeah. I, I hate, the thing I don't like about those sketchy roads, I can kind of do with like wall of rock on one side and then big drop on the uh-huh. other side, which scares a lot of people. And I don't know, there's a, there's a degree of scared. I worry about a car coming the other way. Yeah. And having to back up yeah. or... Absolutely. I can't even... Oh, that just... It makes me... I get... I'm like nervous right now. Yeah. Just thinking about it. It's insane. So we don't do that. We drive a little ways up. And then so on Sunday night, we packed in. Um, you gain like maybe... You go like three miles and a couple thousand feet. And then you set up camp and we're camping in the snow. Is and, there anybody else out there? No. Yeah. I nobody imagine. else out there. Um, and... Uh, the uh and you're not sleeping so it's like 10 o'clock but you're so excited you're like not gonna sleep and so we get up about two uh and then start up so when i did this 10 years ago for whatever reason mike zizda and his buddy i don't even know his buddy's name um we're just gonna call him guy yeah guy guy uh because uh guy was i think like an agnostic jewish guy Uh uh-huh and uh he's a guy he's a guy he's a nice nice guy uh he's a climber he's a climber good climber uh about mike's age so he's like 50s whatever thinks it's pretty random that i'm a priest and like super weird that I'm going to do mass on top of Little Bear. This is ten years ago. That's true. That's a novelty. But he's, he's also never seen but he's that also before. like whatever. You know, he's not. He's he's chill. Yeah, it's he's your thing. chill guy. So that's uh, a good. That's a nice guy. Yeah. So well, guy is very worried about uh, bears. Now it's May, so like it's very kind of questionable whether these things are up. And frankly, like black bears are not that. This is not the problem. When um, do they wake up? Don't they sleep? Yeah, I think they're still sleeping. So, but anyways, guy makes insists on all food in the bear. Uh, it's going into the bear canister and it goes away. So, we get up at three in the, or two in the morning, like we did yesterday, ten years ago. Start up the mountain and we climb the whole thing. And again, this is like one of the hardest routes uh, on any fourteener in the state. Very, uh, very, very challenging. Very long. Finally, I get to say mass on top of Little Bear. I open up my mass kit, and I realize the hosts are in the bear canister. Oh, no. Because he made me uh, take them out, and I forgot to grab them. Oh, it was the guy. The guy. And so guy. Because of the bear canister. You would not have used the bear canister. No. Would you have carried it? What? It's extra space. A bear canister? Yeah. Yeah, they're ridiculous. Yeah, to carry. So, So I get to the top of like the hardest 14 in the state mm. and mike mike's is this like watching me implode i'm oh, just like no. you got to be kidding me i can't believe we just did this um and i can't say mass oh. and guy this agnostic jewish guy puts his arm around me and he says hey man i'm sorry you forgot your biscuits <laughs> <laughs> and he was really serious yeah, he's, he's a serious. nice guy he's a nice guy oh i'm sorry you forgot your biscuits I'm sorry you forgot your biscuits so <laughs> that is sweet that really so is yesterday nice. So yesterday, like 
every hour they were like, did you, did you remember the biscuits? Hey, did you, you got bring the, the biscuits? biscuits? And uh, I got the biscuits. I said mass on top of Little Bear, and uh, it was a, a happy ending Beautiful. to a 10-year-long kind of saga. Um, and Here's so, a quiz. Can I give a quiz to our yes. yeah, go uh, ahead. listener land? Can you use cookies? <laughs> the uh, Brits call cookies biscuits. Biscuits. And can you use cookies or Cliff Bars or Struffle Waffles? Do you yeah. bring those? I love I those love Struffle Waffles. Yeah, I love them. Oh, yeah, all about it. You got to do that with the hikes. Yeah. You got to get that water and sugar. Um, can you use that for mass? Are you asking me? Uh, well, hold on. You got to pause for a little bit. Let them think. And the answer is? No. No, you can't. Okay. You cannot. So no just biscuits. for all those agnostic no Jews waffles, out there. No pizza. No, Yeah. So, but sorry, it is funny that, I mean, that shows how secular he was. You're a Jew. This is unleavened bread. Where did we get this idea from? This <laughs> well, is from the old covenant. Did you, did you explain that? I don't I mean, think he so. doesn't know Catholic, so. No, yeah. He just thought That's they right. the, forgot the biscuits. Passover bread. Yeah. So. And, and what, what they would use. What do they call it? Matzah. Matzah. Yeah. Uh, that's what I should have told him. It's actually like matzah. But anyways, it was a hilarious line. And he was so sincere. He, was like, he put his arm around me and just was like, because you could see I was that's so good. devastated. So There's I've been real thi- camaraderie when you climb. Yeah. So I've been thinking about saying mass on Little Bear um, and doing it as a snow climb for the last 10 years. Yeah. And we finally did it yesterday. And it was the second anniversary of Father Sean's priestly ordination oh, as well yeah. as yours. And yeah, so yeah. it was great. Congratulations. To be, great to be with him. So, so anyways, we came back down to Lake Como, packed up, uh, and then headed out. Um, but Lake Como, Colorado, is a particularly special spot for me, not just because of these trips over the years to do these three fourteeners that it's that you Lake Como was the launching point for him, but because I don't know. At some point, I was reading. Um, I got into a guy named Romano Guardini, who uh, we I, I still love reading, and uh, but he wrote a book called Letters from Lake Como. And this is, of course, oh, Lake Como, right. Italy. And I thought, how, how cool would it be to write a book called Letters from Lake Como, Colorado? Hey, I like and it. And this was about 10 years ago I started thinking about it. Well, I'm actually writing that book now. Hey, good for you. It's got a different title, and it's taken a different form. But it's it's the basic idea, and that's what I want to present and bounce off you today because I need to kind of talk this out with somebody in order to kind of clarify um, exactly what i what the project is. I've done uh, been done done a lot of writing, but I'm going to be spending a lot of the summer doing working on this book. Why did you change the title? And is it a subtitle? Letters from Lake Como. I'll tell you. And then I guess you could include the story in your forward. Uh, it, the story is actually chapter twenty three. Is uh, twenty three? Well, it's letters. They're just letters. Okay. So letter number 23 is called Don't Forget Your Biscuits. Yeah. And it tells the story of climbing Little Bear from ni- uh, in 2013. And it's all about sacramentality. So I'll show you, well, this, I'll show you the sheet I in a second. I was thinking of the story of um, Guardini's book. Uh, yeah. yeah the, Just like real simple. Yeah, like, and, that's and, less than a paragraph. And next year is the 100th anniversary of when he first started publishing the letters. Oh, so cool. it's like a great timing to try and get this thing done. We'll see when it gets done. I mean, it's, it's a lot to... It's just like, it's a lot to publish. Like, as you know, like anything, it just takes forever. And it's such a, it's a climb uh, with all the adventure and all of the challenge and all the question of why the hell am I doing this? And um, so for years, I'd been thinking about this book and kind of formulating these ideas. And basically the, the main idea is um, we live in a state 
where people move to uh, because they fall in love with the mountains and they're mm-hmm. in search of adventure. And there's something really human about that and really beautiful and amazing. And we can connect. And you and I love adventure. And we've had a mm. lot of great adventures mm-hmm. over the years. And nature in the mountains. And yeah, and rediscover, the same thing, rediscovering. Yeah. There's something about rediscovering ourselves and, re, and, and in the encounter of nature. But it's largely a secular and post-Christian worldview that dominates how we think about the outdoors and how we go into creation. So even as Catholics or Christians... We're going into create. We're going into the into nature, into the wilderness, into the backcountry. But we're doing it with a with a modern mentality that is not steeped in Christian faith. And so, the purpose of this book is to help people to rebuild a Christian worldview, and mm. and and rediscover God and themselves uh, in the backcountry. Yeah. I love and it. so it's a theological yeah. work now, that's kind it, of bu- putting the building blocks back together of of a Christian worldview, what we, what we could call a, a Christian metaphysics of creation. So how we view reality in light of God, especially about the incarnation. That's the center of, uh, that's the key to understanding everything. Okay. I think that, yeah, as the key is really the, I don't, what's interesting because I think even the secular folks, they might wonder at the creation. Right. And they ask that big question. Whether or not they believe it, and there's a lot of people who don't, or they're agnostic toward it. That is, I don't know if there's a personal thinker who created all of this. It seems like it's random but beautiful. So it can be inspiring, but it's not inspiring with intention. So then you have, for the Christian, you have the creation and the incarnation, which is like an encounter with personal gods. Um, what was I going to ask about? Oh, I was going to ask, this sounds similar to your project with the trail. This is the same project. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That, that, this this project, wanted... this is the kind of prototypical form of that, that has developed now into the exactly the Caro Trail book. Okay. Uh, but on that point, it, which is right on. So think about, go back to the biscuits uh, guy. Um, if, you don't have, if you don't have the incarnation, where you have God becoming creation, because God's uncreated, he becomes creation, mm-hmm. he becomes human, takes on a human nature, he enters into history, um, and he is the, that's, the, that's the way to, to God, to the Father, then God is just an idea and you and you can believe in God and say, yeah, there's a first principle, there's an unmoved mover, there's you know the the God is real, but God has no bearing on history, and there's no connection to this point, and that's why mass can look like it's just it's just biscuits because yeah. there's because the Eucharist makes no sense apart from the historical instantiation of the sacrament of God, which is Jesus Christ, the incarnation, and so. That's just an example for me of how when you pull out the middle piece between God and creation, the incarnation, the Jesus, the second person of the Trinity becoming man, which is the center of, of the Christian, it's the whole thing hinges on this. If you pull that out, then you, then you get what Thomas Jefferson calls nature's God. Yeah, right, the and deism. So, so it's interesting to think about this, like people don't talk about creation anymore, they talk about nature. Hmm. Because creation implies a relationship. right. Right, someone 
some artist right. thought this through and then made it happen. But nature is just this self-subsisting autonomous thing. And that's how we think mm. as moderns. And Guardini was really good on this. Nature just exists. It's just beautiful. So you go up to Crested Butte. People don't talk about God anymore, but they talk about I'm grateful. Just grateful to be here. I'm yeah. grateful for nature. But what are they grateful for? Well, they're grateful to be in this kind of thing that is really beautiful and way more kind of, I don't know, transcendental than my human experience, which is often clouded and muddied and distorted by interpersonal relationships and woundedness. And I just go yeah. there and it's pristine. It's beautiful. And or drive. There. Sometimes people talk about ego. Right. I'm trapped in myself. Right. And now I feel connected to something bigger. Right. Or to other people. I start to release. It's almost like a retreat. I start to release my obsessions with the an attachment. Right. And it sounds very Buddhist, but... But there's something real about that. Yeah, sure. Like, I mean, I was kind of burned out from the semester, preoccupied about stupid things that don't matter. And then all of a sudden it's like, we're on a side of a cliff going down into the hourglass and I'm working mm-hmm. with a team of four guys, two of whom are kind of freaked out and it's we are just completely in the present. Like, And I am not just sitting and frustrated about whatever, just stupid tiny yeah, things yeah. that, you know, and so there's something real about that. But also you can see how God becomes, I'm realizing more and more that Henry David Thoreau and before him, Walt, uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson are mm-hmm. really the architects of how the REI kind of consumer yeah. outdoor culture thing. They're God, called, for those who are uh, not so literary, they're called the uh, transcendentalist right. uh, thinkers and authors. The trans- Amer- Americans. American transcendentalist movement, and not to go down this, is actually, I just read a book that shows how Frederick Nietzsche was really influenced by, uh, by uh, Emerson. Hmm. The transcendentalists are responding to uh, a modern world that is very rationalized. So everything's just scientific and um, it's just kind of a purely mathematical world. And it's kind of the American romantic spirit. And it happens in the 19th century and it's just, this is the time of manifest destiny. This is kind of going out. This is the rugged kind of individualism of America is born of just go out into the West. Uh, 1883 is a show I just watched with my guys, which really portrays this well. Um, Nature is where it's at, and there's kind of this quasi-divine thing with nature. It's not it's not pantheism, but the the world's soul is what yeah. Emerson talks about. So like when everybody's just talking about we're connecting and there's these vibes and I just kind of feel this kind of energy, like that's what they're kind of speaking about. And this is really different than a Christian understanding yeah, of yeah. creation. But we have to clarify that for people. So I'd like yeah, to write and it. I go up to the mountain uh two points. I go up to the mountain to reflect on my year, right? right? I right. did. I went to our Cabrini Shrine. I don't know if I described this, but, right. but there's a long staircase because it's in the foothills of the mountains. It's where the mountains begin. And you get on top of things, you can see the city, and it's almost like looking down on that jungle that I live in, yeah. the concrete jungle. And that as both a reality, I can't really see the sky down here, and then also a metaphor for... Um, how I get obsessed with the wrong right. things and attached. And then here's a kind of a side point, and we don't have to linger on it, but the there are there's a lot of interest right now in among intellectuals, especially kind of scientifically minded intellectuals, about the possibility and the big question of are we in some sort of simulation? 
So it's you remember the movie The Matrix. Yeah. I don't know if everybody's watched it, but it's kind of like, is there an advanced civilization who have put us in a project of um, kind of worked us into their... Yeah, it's kind of like a theater. They're putting on a play and they're watching either for their entertainment or for um, observation study or something. So there's talk of like aliens who are um, kind of have created this little creation. I think the Mormons actually have something of this um, and the Scientologists. But it's a sort of sci-fi vision so that you can sidestep the idea of an invisible eternal creator and you can have a personal creator but you could still be a materialist Mm. so then you you've kind of champ or you sort of bridge the gap between the science versus religion because you found something that's bigger and that is a creator as you know as such but it's still a like material reality and um so whether that's infinite universes and then, of course, you're going to have like the the coincidence of a planet that gives that has you know intelligent life. You probably have lots of them, or you have, and that leaves everything material. There's nothing invisible that you couldn't you know come to know, and or you have this personal kind of thinking system, but more more of like interest in are we part of a little universe that was made by uh, I don't know some other intelligent you know being or uh yeah probably being um so that's kind of weird in sci-fi but people are actually considering it because they've lost faith in a religious creator god and they just said this is made up by human beings but could we come up with something just empirically yeah climbing the ladder and i i think it i think that it's a loss of the christian vision of reality but it's a deeply religious instinct to look for an answer beyond yeah. it. So it, it's it's not the loss of religion. They think, yeah, we're secular, we're not religious. But it's like, no, like create, recreating this kind of narrative around the origins of, of things is just in you. That's a question that's in you. Yeah. So the religious sense is something that's, and we've talked about this in other podcasts. And things are too ordered to sort of... Right, the intelligibility of things. I What that says to me is... It just shows again how Gnosticism is the predominant is a predominant religious activity mm. in our culture right now. Gnosticism, gnosis, is the Greek word for knowledge. So it's just like we've replaced the event-like experience of Christ. So Christ is the logos. So he's he's reason, he's intelligibility, he's the meaningfulness of things. But he's also a person. So mm. love and truth are united in a person who is God, who reveals the fullness and. That's very different than Gnosticism, which is we have the secret knowledge. The scientists have the secret knowledge, or the Scientologists have the secret knowledge, or the Mormons have the secret knowledge. And it, with this knowledge, this illumination is the key to your salvation. And and that has always been kind of, in the early church, it was a massive temptation, yeah. the biggest one. It went subterranean, and it is the, I think it's just the way that moderns think, especially in a technological scientific society it's just we're, we have a proclivity towards the Matrix-style vision of things. Yeah. And that's what I want to respond Neoplatonism. to. Neoplatonism. So what's unique about Christianity, I don't know if there's any other religion that actually thinks this. There's polytheists that are kind of like that, an old pagan religion. But that God, the one God who is beyond creation, became a human being. Right. 
that's so incarnation is that that's what we're talking about but it really is it really is unique it's a lot easier to say that god can't be a human being right. and god is just bigger that's the thomas jefferson right right yeah totally yeah it's a it's a rationalizing and, and thomas jefferson and the foundations of our country are deism is the is the phrase here so it's just this kind of secularized christianity but it it removes history, it removes the messiness, all these miracles, all this kind of supernatural stuff. It's just, let's just get down to the really kind of rational foundations. But when you demythologize and secularize Christianity, you just get this empty, vacuous thing that is no different than the modern zeitgeist that we find ourselves with. And it's like, well, then why be Christian? And that's the that's the problem. So back to Lake Como for a second, unless you had any thoughts on that. Nope, go on. So Lake Como, the idea develops to be cool to kind of do a Guardini-style letters book from the mountains, a popular work, but also expresses, because Guardini's doing this a century before. He's one of the great prophets of the last century. He comes back, he's born in northern Italy in the Lake Como area, and then he, when he's two, he moves to Germany, comes back, and he's just horrified to see the machines of the Industrial Revolution have taken over the beautiful countryside mm. of Lake Como, which used to be covered with the the kind of steeples of churches and little monasteries and beautiful villages that you know so well yeah. built into the countryside. They just fit in nature. They just kind of... And now you have ugly um, industry and uh, factories. And so he writes the this... The spires of... Um, yeah, factories. Right. So now he writes these letters on really the technologization of, of the culture and the destruction of nature. And in those letters are the seed form of his many of his life projects which he's going to develop in other books so it's a really powerful and beautiful not long um so the thought was take that and then and write these letters but there was no kind of overarching kind of vision of how am i going to pull this together like what am i actually saying and over the years several things developed um one was exactly like you were discussing well which is the loss of the christian worldview that it's been literally supplanted. Uh, and that's why wokeism spreads like wildflower. That's why uh, just the, the the media, social media has radically transformed the human experience. These things are just happening so fast, we can't even understand it. Um, but the worldview is not Christian. and But the Christian world, we would not be priests if we didn't believe that this was actually the truth and it's worth communicating. And so we got to get back down to a level of worldview and start rebuilding that for people. We can't just get put kids in Catholic school and just teach them Catholic things. Catholic stuff is yeah. not enough. You have to you have yeah, to take yeah, exactly. on a, it, there has to be a Catholic vision of how we view reality, which is why we don't think it's the matrix. Why we don't think it's yeah. it's the Jeffersonian approach to reality and it's all about the incarnation. So the book became centered on the key and the incarnation is the is draws together three things that I think we lose nowadays when we abandon the Christian worldview and that's God, humanity and creation. And the incarnation is all three of those things. The incarnation is God mm -hmm. becoming human in creation. These are kind of poles, poles, yeah. And so all of them pull together when you get the one thing you and if you live from the incarnation, being a Christian, and you go into the backcountry, then all of these experiences become not just an ego trip or some kind of sentimental, romantic kind of vision for pure nature. Um, what you get, you rediscover God. He's real. Mm. And I think your pilgrimage up the steps describes for me exactly what I'm trying to say in an incarnation-centered worldview. 
Number one, it was steeped in history, your story. It's the 13th anniversary of me being a priest. I'm, I'm taking this time to kind of recall this year. It's a recovery of your humanity. It's a human experience to do that. Uh, but you're speaking to God in a, in a very real way. Like he's not just an idea or an abstraction, but this mm-hmm. is a personal relationship that's deepening because of the incarnation, because God became man. And that man, that incarnation was extended in, through the Holy Spirit, the power of saints, and actually sanctified this particular place in our backyard. And then creation, you go up onto the heights for a reason because of that experience of transcendence and kind of rising above it. So totally, you're and living what I'm trying to write on. So yeah, if you imagine a Venn diagram, you have the human on the one side, the God on the other side, and then you have this middle where the Christian lives and just can't see anything otherwise. And, and, and in fact, the world is. So you're living in the reality of God and human being united and... Um, yeah, that's what I went up there now, to experience. I, well, like I, I could have gone just to the mountains. Yeah, I actually felt like that. Like maybe I just want to go on a hike or something. And I thought, nah, I just not. I don't know. Maybe it was the guidance of the Holy Spirit, but I just wasn't vibing on that. Yeah, um, or, I, I get what I get what you're saying, but because Austin Lickie's probably gonna hear this podcast and think you're a monophysite for just saying that. So in the order, uh, of, what the Venn diagram? In the order of grace, yeah, grace to nature would be the the way that we participate in the life of God. Right, not that you're in the middle. God, you're not God. Like to be deified means to take on the order of grace, which is a created realm. So just to not. Whereas the the middle belongs to Jesus, I'm but, trying to understand. I'm talking to a Christologist. That right, was a well, mistake. But, yeah, no, it's okay. Yeah, but even Jesus is, assumes a human nature. But it, yeah, so we just don't want to push into that. But we don't need to talk about. that. Well, either. I'm I'm talking more about hermeneutics, okay. like perspective. Uh huh. Then you get into God and man perspective, and that's where you're you you put on the glasses that you can't change now. Right, right. Um, okay, so let me ask just about your about your project. Do you feel like the perspective is mainly coming from? I think it's obviously both, but mainly coming from the positive experience of the mountain, or the negative experience of the vision of the spires of the. Um, factories. I wanted. I want it to be positive. I also think it needs to be have a critique. Now, I just handed Mike a, a large Excel spreadsheet because the last part of this the historical development of this book, which is now being written, was hiking the Colorado Trail, which I think I've talked about this odds and ends. But this is the book is now called "To Heights and Unto Depths: Letters from the Colorado Trail on Humanity, Creation, and God." So on the incarnation. Mm-hmm. So the, the book is, the, the narrative is the story of the Colorado Trail, which we hiked for 30 days last July. And it ties in other stories from the adventures of the last 25 years, many of which involve you, um, to help elucidate a theme, which is part of the larger Christian worldview that we want in the backcountry. And so this should inspire people to go and go on adventures and go into the wilderness, but also to, to take on the mind of Christ and do it as a Christian and thinking very deeply about it. So you can see letter 23, don't forget your biscuits. Yeah, yeah, I got is it. Is tied Little to Little Bear 13. The story of Little Bear, but we were hiking nearby there and that for me is all about the eucharistic center of the Christian worldview. Like for example, we don't think the, the eucharist is not the magic cookie that you get and that makes you feel better or makes you a better uh, superpowers you and makes you a better person. The eucharist is instituted by Christ as the the reality of his love being expressed throughout creation, but it's his love for the Father. 
It's the way that Jesus expresses his sonship. That's what the Eucharist means, and Eucharist means gratitude, which means that the fundamental mode of the Son is gratitude, and that's the mode that we enter into in terms of understanding everything as a gift and everything as an offering. So it's it to to get to that level uh, is it, we need to just keep talking about it. So um, yeah, I love it. I think so. You're combining your own like experience of just hiking, excite, uh, yeah. adventure, yeah. and then were you thinking on these things while you were doing it, or is this a retrospective? This came together last spring, this template, um, and then it got shifted around a little bit. I would kind of uh, call an audible every once in a while if I was like, oh, I think this letter fits better. But then I didn't want to take notes and books on the Caro Trail, obviously, so I took I read only Hopkins, Every day, read one, yeah, read one, read one on. poem. Uh, your guy. I brought some Hopkins up there. Yeah, I didn't know. And then, uh, I I just gave a homily every day based on the experience and on the theme. Um, and I had a paid a high school kid, Ella Swain, sweet girl, to type them up. Thanks, Ella. And now I'm writing the letters based on the homilies. But I have I have three questions for you um, that I'm that are a challenge for me right now. So these are the. The homilies. That's the basis. The homilies are the basis this isn't, to become the letters. But there's no kind of recent additions other than... No, so I've written 13 of the 31 letters. Yeah. But I'm working from the homilies and a lot of other ideas. So, cool, dude. It's Yeah, it's a great project. And I see it sort of... Well, solidifying, crystallizing, coming to... Yeah. Coming to form there was kind of an idea on the trail yeah well you never do just an idea you right. had this pretty systemized uh, systematized up there but this ah it's just it's it's cool 31 chapters so i have, I have to ask you a couple questions before we close though number one um mike you and i are trained in uh very technically as theologians and so i sent draft copies of this to archbishop Chaput to review mm-hmm. and he destroyed me absolutely destroyed what me. was the critique specifically your technical language is absolutely incomprehensible so i have a narrative and then i'm trying to tie it weave it into like real theological ideas like deep this is some deep stuff totally. and, I, and i want to i don't want it i don't want it to be just when i say popular i don't mean it should be just like this is like oprah winfrey bestseller type super watered down but he was just like you do not you do not have an, uh, you've yet to arrive at a kind of language that people can understand because they don't know what yeah. these words mean. So do you have any advice on like, how do you not dumb down? That's not the right word, um, but make accessible deep mysteries of our theological tradition. Cause I feel like you, you do that well. And I, I'm, I'm struggling as a writer to do that. Mm. I remember Shapu, I'm not surprised. I remember Shapu telling me or a group, I can't remember the context, that he doesn't read Balthazar other than his homilies because he's incomprehensible. Right. You know? And now you're so saturated with his rhetoric and yeah. style oh, yeah. that I don't know that you'll escape it. Yeah. So what you're gonna have to do is you're gonna have to simplify, break it down, and then be selective and kind of prioritize. So I think this is going to help this, the structure of your book simply because 
well, okay, Shapu disagrees, but um, it, it's not all written. It's right. not totally written. You're going to take one point or two points for each of the chapters. I see that in your key idea column, <laughs> <laughs> reading the stat sheet. And I think that will help because it will it will require you, if, if an author tries to write three chapters, then you're stuffing all kinds of these, these concepts. And Shapu is a very good writer, but he keeps it real simple. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like storytelling or, mm-hmm. um, but you're going to have storytelling along the way. I would, yeah, so keep it simple. As uh, Monsignor uh, Kwong said ye- yesterday, the day before, Keep it simple, Stanley. Keep it simple, kiss, Stanley. The kiss yeah. pro, uh, approach. And then I would read Hemingway mm. because Hemingway is famous for his um, tight prose, short sentences that are very colorful. So there's a lot said within little words. And um, then if for your storytelling, I would read Michener. I just bought Centennial. Hey, dude. Awesome. Okay, it, thank you. That's great to hear. It's great. He's a master storyteller and also communicates a lot with a little. And he's not as like melancholic as a Steinbeck. Yeah. Or poetic as if you read your your boy Thoreau, yeah. you're gonna be yeah. be combining these two is gonna be a huge project, or you're gonna get the Shapu response from all your readers. Um okay, that's very helpful. Simple prose. Yeah. Um, simple ideas. Okay. Second chapter. Second question. Um, when we were in the hut and practice, practice, practice daily. Yeah. But don't just practice what you're going to write. Practice writing really simple and vivid sentences, or try to try to write out your idea as simply as you can. Yeah. And you could. I, I would say you're good at explaining this stuff on the podcast. Yeah. It's easier to to teach, I think. Um, but the writing. Writing these works. So my second question takes us back to in March, we were on a hut trip with a bunch of seminarians and there was an impromptu uh, writing competition or kind of. Oh, I remember that. Ed, that you led and the prose was so, it was so creative and the imagery. And I was just like, what? These guys are just like, absolutely. And they just put this down. Like, so where do you, cause, cause part of it is like, I have these rich experiences, like unbelievably rich, mm. and you want to you want to capture people in that, but also not sound super pedantic like it's forced. So, like, how do you be yourself, but also get really creative with the expressive and maybe poetic side of when you're describing uh, a, a landscape or something like that? Is there? Do you have any advice on how to do that? Because that's that doesn't come as naturally for me. Mm. Yeah, I think that's practice for one. So when, when artists would learn to paint, uh, traditionally, they would do still lifes. So you're just going to put fruit all over the table or in a basket, and then you're going to study it and master the colors and the shapes and all of this. Eventually, after you've practiced enough still lifes, you can move on to more complex things like figures, people. And uh, at the end of the, the story, at the end of the line is expressions because they're just so hard to, mm. you know, capture well. So it's like kind of the baby steps. And yeah. I would do those writing projects. Yeah. Try to describe a couch as well as you can. Yeah. And then with enough practice, you're going to have 
more vivid imagery. And then as, as far as the storytelling comes, I would try to imagine your story and the points you're making, even the, the themes that you're doing as a, as a film, like a, like a, what do they call that? Screenplays. And so then you're helping kind of lead the person into the visual rather than just the mental, because that's where you get trapped. Yeah. And your, your brain is so like fantastic and organized and, um, contemplative, but people aren't there. So you're going to try to hold their hand with your, um, your screenplay. Hmm. Does that make sense? Totally. You're trying to, you're trying to do something visual, even silent film like pantomime or acting yeah. it out that, mime. that's super helpful and that's the hardest thing for me is the dialogue mm-hmm. writing good dialogue I, I have, i'm really bad at that i should confess gosh uh and but, that's such a an asset yeah. for writers yeah that's helpful i think the practice thing is is uh key so which is kind of dumb advice it's so like obvious no it's not it's great and it's it's what i need to hear and i i appreciate this today we should probably wrap it up because we've been going a while mm-hmm. um I could talk about this all day, but I I just needed to talk through it with you, and uh, so thank you for doing that. So super cool project. I'm yeah. proud of you, and I'm looking forward to reading it. Thank you, sir. Okay, uh, do we have any shout outs before we go? I got to pull up my. List I do. Here. I tried to shout out uh, <laughs> June Sincota, Chincota, Chincota from Yardville, New Jersey. She June uh, Jane, Joan Jane, Jane. Joan. June. Jane, June. Uh, this is Jane Sincota. She sent me a candle for my birthday. Oh, okay. To ten fifty Pennsylvania Street. That's like a, a fishing for more gifts. Ten fifty. Uh, <laughs> anything. And uh, it was really cool. But I couldn't figure out like who. Oh no no no. She didn't send me a candle. That was Bethany Doyle. She sent me a book stand. That's awesome. And I uh, have my Bible mounted on this book stand now. And it just, it's a cool reminder when I am around my room uh-huh. to pray and do more Lexio and to study. Sweet. And so that's a beautiful thing. And then I just went through a uh, pile. This is uh-huh. spring cleaning time. Spring cleaning. I know you don't do this because you're always um, Oh, it's great. Tidy. I love, you love the purging. But I found um, a couple of Christmas cards. So the first one is from Michael Anktil in D.C. Over there. He's probably Comunio, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. And it's a a simple card, but beautiful. And it's got uh, pine trees, which is uh, one of my brother's favorite things to to paint. But the... So just a shout out to, to Michael Anktil. You're all great. And then finally... I've forgotten the last one I had. Oh, Father Matt Henry. Father Matt Henry. Who's a true, he's a writer, he's a lover of nature, and he's a transcendentalist if I ever knew one. Yeah. Who's that? Wilbur, he likes a poet who's a a contemporary farmer. Yeah. You know who I'm talking about. Wendell. Wendell, yeah. Wendell Berry. Wendell Berry. Yeah, he's kind of like your your style. Maybe you read some of that too. Father Matt Henry, you're you're awesome, and uh, happy anniversary. I can't remember exactly when it was, but. Right. Uh, much and congratulations love. to I think he's all but dissertation now. Yeah, that's he right. Finished up his yeah. coursework and his comp, ABD. So. That's right. Well done, Father Matt. All right, I met a woman named Sue Bolger at up, Light Sue? of the World, and she said uh, we were talking about different people. And I guess there's a kid in 
Wichita uh, seminarian who listens named Grant uh, Huslig, and I'm going to Wichita actually this week. So Grant, thanks for listening, and Sue, great to meet you. Hey, Grant. And then the uh, the boys at Catching Foxes sent me a mug. A coffee oh, mug. dude. I get coffee mugs from people every once in a while, and they're usually um, they're never serious. They're always like just a mess. And this one is it just has a is picture. it world's greatest dad? Yeah, I never got that one, but it, this one says it's got a picture of Hunzers and Balthazar, and it just says "old ballsy" on the side. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, so that's, that's in my office great. right now, I love it. and it's uh, very fun. So Luke, uh, Carrie, and Gomer, thanks, boys. Catching uh, foxes is an awesome podcast. Another for a Catholic long time. podcast. And then I, I actually gave, I think I bought my first gift mug when I was uh, traveling and got it from my housemate, Father Jason Wunsch, got an, um, a sloth. Ah, uh, nice. Sloth on a mug. Nice. Why not, you know? Yeah. Well, because I've never done, I've never gotten a mug. I thought it was so cliche. That's funny. Old ballsy. Old ballsy. So... All right, well, thanks, buddy. Um, Father Mike and I are doing a lot of travel this summer, so we're going to try and uh, get out a couple more podcasts here. They'll be spread out through the summer, but we'll catch you, keep you posted on things. Thanks for listening, as always, and uh, we will see you next week. Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. God bless you, everybody.